Father, we worship you and praise you. And Lord, we love you so much. You are our king. You are everything. I pray the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning, Father. Send your Holy Spirit. Envelop not only this place, but each of those listening. Father, as you have said, that your spirit resonates with your spirit. So I ask that you send your Holy Spirit to resonate to those whom you want to hear. Give them ears to hear and eyes to see. And Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We desperately thank you as we did in communion this morning for your son and the sacrifice that he made in becoming our King, our Messiah, our Lord. Fill my mouth with your words, Father. It is my desire, my heart's desire, to speak only what you desire me to speak. So I give you my mouth. I give you my will that your will be done I declare that as my desire here in this realm, on this earth, that your will be done here as it has already been done and decreed in heaven amongst your throne. We worship you and we praise you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read some things that have been on my heart pretty consistently over the last couple of weeks, but is increasingly hitting me. It's increasingly hitting. Uh, I want you to pay attention because you've all heard this before. You've all learned this before. We'll see how it applies. Almost 250 years ago, thereabouts, there were a group of people, as you know, that came over across the seas to begin a country to come to a land where they would have freedom. Freedom from the tyranny that they felt where they were. That tyranny was certainly financial, but it it was all propagated through a religious system. And there was a document written that you know about, On July 4th, 1776, and I'm going to read just the beginning of it. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. This is on July 4th, 1776. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with one another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature 
and the laws of God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to this separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. I want to read that last part again, because it's that last part that has become weighing heavy on our nation. That to secure these rights, these rights, these inalienable rights, by the way, I looked up the word unalienable. And in the Webster Dictionary it says that it is impossible to take away or to give up. We can neither give up these rights nor can we have them taken away. These rights that are declared, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, says to secure these rights that we all have given by God, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. In other words, the governments rise up to protect, literally protect these rights, and the government goes at the sole discretion of those whom send the government forth. That's the people. That's us. That's you. That's me. We the people. That was in 1776. You know what happened at that point. Right? You know that uh, we went to war. We literally went to war to become a nation, and we became a nation. In the course of becoming a nation, there was a ground set of rules that was written for this nation. We call it the Constitution. We all have heard it. We all have heard about it. And yet, so easily, it slips through our fingers. I want to read the first part of the Constitution, and then I'll go on to another piece. This Constitution begins as this. The conventions of a number of the states having at the time of their adopting the Constitution expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers, that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added. And as extended, the ground of public confidence in the government will best ensure the beneficent end of its institution. These were added to our Constitution 
on Wednesday, the 4th of March, 1789. Resolved by the Senate and the House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress assembled two-thirds of both House concurring that the following articles be proposed to legislature of the several states. As amended to the Constitution of the United States, all or any of which articles, when ratified by three-fourths of the said legislatures, to be valid to all intents and purposes as part of the said Constitution. In other words, this is part of the Constitution. These amendments that, that were written became a founding part of that Constitution, not just a tack-on that is less important. but had every bit the value and weight of the Constitution because it became grafted in, if you will, the Constitution. Amendment 1, and this is the only one I'm going to read. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. And praise God, they have not. Right? We don't have a state-run religion. In fact, the states have gone the other way and, and continue to say that, that they're separate from religion, which is incorrect as well. But at least they have not tried to push a national religion. giving us all the right to our own beliefs. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. In this First Amendment, we have the right. Remember what was given, those inalienable rights. We have the right to believe God for what he says. We have the right to come together and worship as he tells us to do. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. He says that in his word. We have this right, and yet it has been taken away from us. How do they do that? How does this government take that away from us when they have no right to do it? They do it by twisting laws. One specifically that has been twisted many different times, many different ways, and that is the Commerce Clause where they come in and they say, for the sake of commerce, we need to shut this down. And I believe that that is where their purest heart was coming from, for the sake of everything going really, really bad. We need to put a hold on this. We need to shut it down. And the Lord told us to honor that. He did, and we have. We have honored that. But now that 
from that same voice, they are saying it's time to figure out how to reopen. It's time to figure out how to make, how not to allow the cure to be worse than the cause. We have to figure it out how to open up these states. And I don't mean to get political here, but that's exactly what's going on. This is not a separation of church and state. This is a dominance of state over the church. Very different. In this commerce clause, they say for the sake of enabling commerce, that it, that it doesn't come in and infringe. Well, guess what? The opposite has happened. And that is exactly why Donald Trump said what he did. The cure cannot be worse than the cause. What you have done and Satan, Satan has effectively done was he took the very meeting of those who would come together in unity to pray against something. He took them out of the story completely in saying that they cannot assemble. Now, even states that do this, they do this with a fine line of twisting a clause in a way that it shouldn't be twisted. See, now you have states coming against the federal government, saying, no, we will, we will go ahead and lock down even further. I happen to be part of one of those states. Thankfully, there are other states that are much worse in coming down on this sequestering, this quarantine. But I am in Delaware. Our church is in Delaware. We are part of a state that has had a lockdown further than the recommendations of the federal government. Twisting a law that they are not allowed to twist. Using authorities that they do not have. You understand, just because they say something doesn't mean that it is their authority to say it. See, you have the Constitution. I have the Constitution. We just read the Constitution. Every governor... Every public official, every police officer, they take an oath. They take an oath to uphold the Constitution. Do you understand that they are there to uphold your right to assemble? They're there to uphold your right to have belief in God and listen to God when he says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Now, I get the fear, but that's the problem. You're reacting out of fear. The government is reacting out of fear. It began a while ago with the shutdown, but now it has become where a line has been drawn in the sand. Where they literally are going against, as I said before, what Donald Trump is saying and what the administration is saying, that let's begin to open things up. They're going against that to shut it down even further. I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories as to why. I'm going to simply say this. They are being pushed by Satan. 
They are being pushed by a side that wants to lock down those who would worship Jesus Christ. Those who would listen to what he says. Why? Because he is doing something. He is bringing about change in the world. He is bringing about change in this country. I said it before. I think it was last week. We're the only country that was begun on the precepts of believing in God, in Yahweh, in the one God, the Creator. Not a bunch of gods, but one God. And it's time for this country to come back to God. And that's what Satan is fighting. That's what he's trying to stop. And one way he can do that is by taking an already disunified bride and separating them even more. A, a, but what I love is God said, whatever Satan does for evil, God can work toward good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. So guess what? I believe this is the very thing that God can use if you step up. If the church steps up and unifies, God can use this very thing to unify the church. Churches that won't speak to each other. Churches that say your doctrine is different, so, so we can't even speak with you. You see it all over the place. It's sad. It's the saddest thing in the world. Well, there's nothing that unifies more than difficulty, than oppression. Our country was birthed out of oppression. This country that was given to God at the very beginning. And we need to go back to that place. Now, I'm not saying anything to that effect right now. Because, quite frankly, the Lord has told us to honor what Trump says. And we are. But what happens when there becomes a separation of what the federal government is trying to do versus the state. Do you know there are other states right now that this Sunday morning churches are together again? And yet we're not. Now, I'm, I guess in a way we are because we were always in a house. Right? But there are many of our people that are not with us. We've honored that. The Lord has told me there's coming a day, and it's coming very soon, where we will not. I don't know what that looks like. I just know that we have an inalienable right, as was laid out in the Constitution, to assemble and worship as the Lord tells us to do. I call on churches everywhere. I call on churches everywhere. Go before the Lord. 
Recognize the times in which we're in. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You will find yourself on the wrong side of history. He is asking us to listen to him. The Lord is. And he will be bringing us together. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 12. We all know that as Christians, we fight a darkness. We call it Satan. It is not just Satan. It is Ephesians tells us it's all different types of principalities, of powers, of rulers, right? We fight a darkness. Now, there is a leader to that darkness, and that's why we say Satan. Lucifer, really. Satan is more of a title. But it is that Lucifer in whom rules that darkness that we fight. Well, in Revelation chapter 12, it, it, it is a glorious, beautiful prophecy that I want to read. It literally shows what will happen to Satan. Now, this is not his end. But this is truly the beginning of his end. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Now, by the way, that, that accuser is Satan. That accuser who accuses day and night before the, the court of heaven is Satan and his emissaries. But I want to focus on verse 11. And they conquered him. By the way, who are they? He goes to define who they are. They are people. It's not, it's not God's angels. Okay, these are people, and they have conquered him, conquered Satan, by the blood of the Lamb that Jesus Christ shed on the cross, by the word of their testimony. Okay, those two things are critical to understand. How do we conquer Satan in our life? How do we conquer the enemy that is coming against our country, against our world? How does the bride rise up and conquer the foe that has literally controlled for centuries. How do we do that? We do that first by being saved. First by accepting Jesus Christ into our hearts. That is the covering of the blood of the Lamb. When we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, we are covered by His blood. It is a filter in which the Father can look at us through. This Jesus filter. That's how we are covered by the blood. So we have conquered him first through the blood of the Lamb. And second, by the word of our testimony. How have we conquered him? By how we live our lives. By how we engage in this relationship with Jesus Christ. 
if you don't believe relationship is possible, you've got a real problem because you stop right after the first point. You can't move on to the second point. Because there is no word of your testimony if you do not understand that relationship with Him is an interaction. It is a back and forth. Otherwise, all you do is stand on principles. And tell me how a principle is going to hold up if somebody stood before you and held a gun to your head. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. If you don't recognize the one whom the principle is founded in. If you don't have relationship built with that one who it is founded in, then it will not hold up. So the word of our testimony becomes the lives that we lead in relationship with him. And so many preachers stop right there. And you know, it's this last part that defines the relationship. It's this last part that is so critical in understanding who we are and who literally purchased us with his life. Number three, by the word, the word of their testimony, blood of the lamb, word of the testimony. Number three, they loved not their lives even unto death. Understand what that means. It doesn't mean they wanted to die. It doesn't mean that. That, oh, we're Christians now, so we just want to die so we could go to heaven. Okay, that, that's not what it said. It said that they loved not their lives. They did not care about what happens to them here outside of their relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to understand what that means, go back through. Begin it at the book of Acts and go back through the New Testament and see the testimonies of the apostles. The testimonies of even those that that were brought into the fold from the apostles. Look at the testimony of Stephen. As he gave his life before Paul or Saul at the time, and the other Pharisees, as he was being stoned, he said, lay this not on them, forgive them. See, that was an example of caring not about his life. Do you know, every movement that happens, happens through the willingness of sacrifice. Look at how our country was begun in the first place. It came from a willingness to sacrifice. And not only the pilgrims that came over willingness to to live in a land they knew nothing about, a, a hostile place that they didn't even know how to operate in, but even when we became a nation, declared our independence, that was with the understanding that it would be potentially at the greatest cost, which was our lives. That's what it cost for righteousness. That's what it costs for independence. That's what it costs today for the readying of the bride. I don't know how that plays out, and, and don't read into my words. 
I'm not saying it plays out a certain way. All I am sharing with you now is the Lord's heart. He's saying, understand the cost. Understand the times in which we live. Understand that it is not a simple process to go from a divided, distorted, disunified bride to a single-minded, unified, readied bride for Jesus Christ. There is cost involved in getting from point A to point B. And we have to understand that cost. We have to know that our lives are not high enough on the, the love scale. We don't love our lives more than we love what Jesus wants to do with his bride. For many, that will be put to the test. How will you handle that test? It's as simple as that. I want to look at a couple of examples. Back in the Old Testament the book of Daniel, I want to go over two. You, you know them both very well, but I want to read through them. Because they're, they're two different examples of the same thing. It was the fiery furnace with, furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then also the lion's den with Daniel. I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 3. And I'm just going to read through some of this first one. Understand in this first one that for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was a hostile environment. When they stood for what they believed, it became a hostile environment completely. That's different than Daniel. When he went to Lion's Den, that's Totally different. We're going to get to that in a minute. Verse 8 of Daniel chapter 3. Therefore, at, the time, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now look at how King Nebuchadnezzar reacts to this. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they be brought, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, 
O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. He had already been filled with fury. Now he's filled with more fury. He is beyond himself angry. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their their, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. See, there's no way to say that this was fake fire. There's no way to say that, that, well, somehow they fell into a spot where the flames weren't burning and, and they somehow made it. You know, the very men that threw them in that were holding them right beside them died. Understand that. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 26, came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. And come, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. I skipped more, didn't I? No, yeah. And skipped up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four unbound walking in the midst of the fire. And they're not hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Not sure what that would look like, but it was enough set apart that Nebuchadnezzar noticed. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the straps, the prefects, the governors, or satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not even singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. And that's extraordinary. That's an extra... I mean, I mean when we do bonfires with the youth, you know, we, we just sit eight feet away and we smell like smoke. And, and that's not even a furnace like this, right? The only way that they escaped not only death, but literally had this cocoon around them even for smell, was because the Most High God intervened. Now, what I want you to notice here is they made a choice. They knew what they were supposed to do. They cared not about their life even unto death. Did it mean they died? No, they didn't die. But they said it doesn't matter. 
because we know what's right. We know who the Most High God is. If He wants to save us, He could save us. He is plenty powerful to do that. But we will follow Him. Why? Because we're not looking at this life. We're looking at the life to come. We're looking at the life that Jesus promised us and gave us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. We look to that life and it brings perspective into this life. If your eyes are fixed on this life, you'll never have the perspective of his kingdom. You can't. They had the perspective of his kingdom. And when they said this, by the way, as I said before, this was a hostile environment. Right? I mean, everybody was against them, including the king. Now, we're going we're gonna to go on further. Things, things happened and, and, you know, I, I won't go into all the things in history that happened before, before Daniel um, goes into lion's den, but go to chapter 6. And by this time, Nebuchadnezzar's no longer there. King Darius is, is the king now. Um, Babylon was taken over by the Medes and the Persians, and, and Darius um, was the king, and Daniel had risen up in the ranks because of of being able to interpret dreams. And the same injunction went out, right? The, the, the same thing, I, I won't go through all the, all the lead up to it, but, but the same thing went out. Uh, people knew that, that Daniel, you know, believed in, in, in the most high God, not their gods, not the gods of the Medes and Persians. And, and, and they also knew that he had the favor of Darius. See, this is different than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had the favor of Darius, or, or he did, Daniel did. In fact, he wanted to raise Daniel up, and it even said, we won't go back to it, but where it said he wanted to place him in charge of his entire kingdom. That's what prompted these, these men to do what they did. And so, so they had the, the king declare a, a, a declaration, a law that, you know, um, you couldn't pray you know, for these 30 days, you couldn't pray to any other God except for, you know, uh, Darius's God. Let's start at verse 10 in this chapter 6, verse 10. Now, re- remember, by the way, remember, remember, Daniel knew he was aware of what had happened before. He was he was aware of what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. He was aware of what happened with with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was aware, and he also believed in the same God and trusted in the same God. Verse ten: When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, this new declaration that he can't he can't pray, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You know. I love it because it, it doesn't say his emotional reaction to it. We don't know what it was. We don't know if he hesitated. We don't know if he was tempted not to do it. I mean, I kind of think in what we see here, there was no temptation not to do it. 
In fact, he flung the windows open. Right? He did it three times a day, as he had done before. You know, could he have changed his schedule a little bit? You know, I'm going to keep going, but, but let me just change my schedule so maybe they don't see it, and then I'm doing my part. I'm still praying every day, three times a day. No, he didn't do that. He didn't change anything about what he was doing. He said, as it did before, as he had done previously. And then they go and they turn him in and all this stuff. And and when, when these men turned him in, they really got Darius between a rock and a hard place because he had already declared, he had already made law. And they said, you know, this, this man, this, somebody who is under, under your authority, he, he defies you. And you, know, you can imagine, Darius, who is that? Who is that? I'll take care of it. Well, it's Daniel. Oh, oh. You can imagine his reaction. We read a little bit about his reaction in verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, finding out that it was Daniel, and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. (laughs) Understand what's going on here. This is very different than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You still had the, the guys that wanted to come against God's people. You still had that. But now you had a king who loved the representative of God's people. Right? Who loved Daniel. And, and he's thinking in his mind what, what verse 14 just said. He said, okay, let me, let me, there's got to be a way. Let me come up with a way that we can get you out of this. Somehow, some way, we could get you out of this. But basically, verse 15, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. They See, they knew what they were doing. They came to him and said, no, 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 you signed this. You put this into law. And I can imagine in their back of their mind, they're thinking, it was your arrogance, your own arrogance that did this. You've got to stick by it. You have no choice. Verse 16, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, and I love this, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. King Darius, as much as he wanted to do something in his heart for Daniel, he couldn't. He literally relied on a God, the God, whom he didn't even serve. But he saw through the testimony of Daniel's life that that God was real. And he said, may your God, the God, may your God save you and deliver you. It says, then the king went to his place and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. In other words, he concentrated on this. He fasted. He probably prayed. He did whatever he could to focus on it all night. Verse 19, 
Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? You can imagine that moment. You can imagine that moment where he said, said, said Daniel, and, and think of what he's, he's declaring here. Daniel, your God, the living God. Do you know that Yahweh is the only living God? There's not another God that is called a living God. They're all dead. It's because they didn't live in the beginning, from the first place. Right? He said, your God, the living God, has he saved you from the mouth of the lions? Verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. I would love it. You know, when we get to heaven, I I just believe they have these archives of videos. I can't wait because there are certain things I want to see. I want to see what happened. I want to see. This is one of those times I would love to see. I would love to watch a video of this. I don't think Hollywood could even even capture what this moment was like. Where, where Darius said, are you the one? Are you still alive? The living God, did he save you? And then there, that moment, that just moment of wait, wait, wait. Probably felt like hours and days and weeks to him. Just wait. And then Daniel said, yes. Whoo. Imagine how Darius felt. Imagine. If he didn't believe before, he believes now. But yet, he believed before by saying, I know he can do it. You know, I see it in your life, Daniel. Just, just, I trust. I'm going to stay up all night. I'm, I'm going to trust. And his trust was fulfilled. When he heard Daniel's words, when he said, yeah, I'm good. They're just chilling. It's kind of a little cold last night. I got to cuddle up to a few of them. I mean, think about that. We look at these as just Bible stories and we learn about them in in Sunday school and they're not real. But let me tell you what, if you're in a den of lions, of hungry lions, would you have the confidence To say, my Lord, your will be done. You could close their mouths if you want to. I'm sure he was thinking in his mind, well, Lord, you know, you could go one of two ways here. You could send an angel to close their mouths, or you could give me the strength like you did David to just fight him. Or, for that matter, uh, Name just slipped my mind. Who's the long-haired guy? Samson. Samson. There you go. I'm sure he was thinking all these possible ways God could do it. Because in his heart, in his mind, do you think the Lord had told him, Look, your life is going to come to an end now because I need it to. I need the testimony of your martyrdom. He may... He may have felt that way. I don't believe so. 
I don't believe so because he had already been using Daniel. He had already developed this relationship between Daniel and the king, King Darius. I think Daniel went in there with confidence. See, it was different with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were not in a situation where the king loved them. But Daniel was. But even in that, he had the confidence to place his life in the Lord's hands and say, your will be done. Your will be done. And it was. So I want to encourage you. How would you react if that came to you? How about in a modern day situation? You know, obviously we're not going to be in a thing where they tell you, you know, to serve some other god or, or you'll be thrown into the lion's den. But what if they came and said, you know what? For six months we're going to go ahead and do this lockdown to where you cannot be together. You cannot worship together. And what if the Lord told you, it's time to worship together. What do you do? See, apply it to today because it's no different. I am not telling you that the Lord is saying that. I'm just telling you it's coming. I don't know what that even looks like. But are you going to care about your life even unto death? See, right now is when you decide that, not at the moment in which that's presented to you. It's decided as you build your relationship with him. It's decided because he and the importance of who he is in your life becomes so paramount that nothing else matters. If he tells you to do something, you would do it simply because you love him and you trust him. Let me point out, I'm not saying that, that there would come a point where you listen to me. Where you do something I say. Because he said his spirit resonates with his spirit. What the Lord speaks through me, through his Holy Spirit, will be heard and will resonate with those who hold his spirit. That doesn't mean everybody who's saved. You do not hold his spirit just from being saved. You have the stamp of the Holy Spirit. You have the protection of the Holy Spirit. But it does not mean you are filled and guided by the Holy Spirit. That takes relationship. That takes you giving everything that you are to him. That takes walking in a way that he would bring you to this purity with him. That's what relationship is. That's what it does. And to those, to that remnant who have that, it will resonate with your spirit because it's the same spirit. Because there will come a time where this will be at our doorstep.
Don't know how, don't know when. I just know he laid it on my heart today to, to talk about. Alexis, come on up. Wow, what a story. Um, I was thinking about the most, one of the most familiar children's stories you hear about is Daniel the Lion's Den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when I think about the context of even that last one, of Daniel and the Lion's Den, and as it relates to Revelation 12, where we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and we love not our lives unto death. What, what kind of a relationship with God must those like Daniel and the word of God had to have had to trust him to that degree? This morning, even Abraham was on my mind. And what kind of a Faith and trust in the voice of God, the voice that told him, you are going to today, which we assume by scripture randomly, you're going to give the son that I promised that you waited so many years for, that is the key to you being the father of many nations. You're going to take that son and end his life as a young boy. Can you imagine the doubt and wondering if that was the voice? That was really God. And yet it reflects that he knew. He knew. The voice of God. I will say. That. Forget coming even close. To being a Daniel. Or a Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Fearing a lion's bite. Or fire. If we can't even stand up against other people in our own body of believers who disagree with us and know the difference between man's voice and God's voice. We have to have that kind of faith. We have to know the voice of God. And many, many believers can't even handle the pushback of disagreement in their own church to stand for what the Lord wants. I heard of a a woman recently who went to her leadership and challenged and, and just made a comment that how would Jesus respond to the way a situation was dealing with if he came in, contextually modern day, came into the church. And there was such offense by the leadership over this that they removed her. They asked her to leave the church. How often in situations like that do people just cave and get in line? And yet then when we look at the story in the word of God about a Daniel Oh, yes, we would do that. Oh, yes, if it came to that, we would stand up. Would we? Would we? If we can't even handle a brother or sister who might disagree with us and call us names, we can hardly handle the persecution of somebody that disagrees with us and touts a scripture trying to one-up what they believe is our interpretation. And sometimes it is the correction of a brother that's bringing truth into our lives. But what it boils down to is that you seek God with all of your heart. You are in his word. You humble yourself before the Lord. And then you learn and know his voice. Because while he uses people to help correct us, 
he also we can also get very very derailed by the voice of man when they come to us with tradition or influences that are not of god we have to be bereans the scripture says we have to know we have to know for ourselves what god is saying and get confirmation from his word and on our faces before god you know we don't often think about the context of abraham's decision to offer his son in what others may have said around him if he shared it now maybe he kept it to himself but the the group that went with him that he traveled with there was 3 days 3 days he was holding this command from the lord to travel can you imagine what was going through his mind in those 3 days wondering is this a lying spirit is this you god but he erred on the side of obedience loved not his life or his son's life unto death he knew whom he believed and was willing to stand before god knowing that i am going to trust you above any other voice that is where god wants us that is the only place that will ever ever help us to be overcomers and love not our lives unto death because when we look at a fiery furnace or a lion's den that is so old time persecution context that it's hard to look at it in a modern day from a modern day lens of what the persecution looks like but what greg said at the beginning it is oppression sadly that brings the bride together it is the persecution i've even seen it in marriages marriages that are on the brink and suddenly a child or their children are in grave danger and the two the husband and wife unite and they put aside all the garbage they were fighting about and they come together as parents on behalf of what's coming the persecution that's coming against their family in the way of illness or or tragedy now i know long term illness can sometimes have that effect and separate families but what i'm saying is sometimes we come together in times when we are really just caught up in distractions of differences and we don't understand what is the main focus the main focus is that we seek god with all of our heart and so apply these old time stories of persecution against these men to a modern day persecution that is not just coming it is at our doorstep it is here it is here we see it on all kinds of youtubes all over the place the most recent one being a male and female cop police officers that came to the door of a woman who was allowing her child to have a play date with another child and they were ready to come against her with the law enforcement of arrest or fines or whatever it was because of her allowing that i mean things are getting absurd that's what fear and chaos does you lose all ability to have human reasoning and logic applied and so the enemy we are not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices we are to be rising up and for the secular world and i heard a secular commentary uh commentator um on the news recently saying and and it pierced my soul he said shame on you religious leaders for allowing these laws that are unlawful to come against what you know you can do based on our constitution if the church would rise up there wouldn't even be a need for all this but the church has been silent caught in 
distractions of fundraising, seeker service, building the best worship teams, all of those things that individually are not a problem, but they have become the main thing. And yet personal relationship, personal sacrifice, accepting Jesus, living a life that is true to his word, the word of our testimony, walking in purity, and then loving our lives not as much as the agenda of God, even to our own death. You just don't hear that very often. You don't hear too many Christians who not only will say that they would die for God, but that when faced with it are willing to do it no matter what, like the stories we heard about today. This is a challenge. This is a challenge. And we are all going to stand before God. And whatever compromises we are making, no matter how close a loved one in our life may be that comes against us and pushes back and begins to oppress us for what we believe, we will stand before God. And I, for one, want to err on the side of knowing that God is the one I want to serve. God is the one I want to obey. And God is the one that I trust to deliver me from deception. Because he knows if your heart is for him. He knows if there's an agenda and he knows if your heart is fully surrendered to him. So seek him. Seek him while he may be found. Choose this day whom you will serve. Father, thank you, God. Thank you for this message that is even in old times, so relevant, so applicable to now. God, you live outside of time. And so everything spoken in your word is a teachable moment for us right now in our lives. And, and never more relevant are those stories than right now and what we're on the precipice of even more. God, help us to seek you and you alone, not tradition, not habit, not do-goodism, not a feel-good of service of good works, and not even just the principles in your word absent the guide of your Holy Spirit. But you, God, Jesus, you said you are the way, the truth, and the life. That same truth that in John eight thirty two you said... We will, if we know the truth, the truth will make us free. But that isn't just knowing the truth of the word in concepts and principles. It's knowing Jesus, who is himself the truth. Knowing him in relationship is where there is freedom. So I pray, I pray, God, open our eyes, wake us up, wake us up to see that we love not our lives even some of our precious traditional histories. We love not anything more than you and you alone. God, let us be a bride purified. We are being and will be more tried by fire. As one of the songs that I love, the lines in the song says, I'm, I'm, I hunger and thirst for the fire to burn away the hollow. God, there's too much hollow in your church today. Burn it away in the name of Jesus. That we would be on fire for you, God. On fire for you and not be ashamed.
not be ashamed to say so and to live it. We love you, God. We love you. May your name be praised and glorified in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.